Hello, I'm Harriet Smith and welcome back to Dietitian Cafe, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. In this big dietetic debate, we're going to be discussing the topic of how to have a healthy plant-based diet from a paediatric and adult dietetic perspective. I'm delighted to be joined by registered dietitians Harpreet Sohal and Kate Roberts, both of whom are avid plant-based eaters themselves and really advocate for an evidence-based approach to achieving a nutritionally balanced plant-based diet. Harpreet works as an acute dietitian and loves to share myth-busting information and experiment with vegetarian and vegan recipes. Kate is a paediatric dietitian and fellow podcaster who's specialised in plant-based eating. In this episode, we'll explore the increasing awareness and popularity of plant-based diets and the role that dietitians can play in helping patients to achieve a healthy and balanced plant-based diet. We'll also discuss the associated health advantages of a plant-based diet and address some of the many controversies of following this diet. I hope that you find this information really interesting and useful. And without further ado, it's a great pleasure to welcome Harpreet and Kate onto the Dietitian Cafe. Hello. Hi. So first of all, ladies, it'd be really great um, to hear a bit about where your own interest in plant-based eating comes from. So Harpreet, perhaps we can begin with you telling us a bit more. Sure. So um, thanks for having us on, first of all. Um, and like you mentioned, um, I am a dietitian working within the NHS at the moment. Um, and alongside that, I have, some, I have a social media page where I share nutritional information about plant-based diets as well, um, and also healthy eating in South Asian diets, which actually, interestingly, are quite often um, vegetarian or plant-based as well. So that's where that kind of interlinks. Um, but my uh, kind of personal interest came or was derived from kind of being raised in a Sikh household. So um, for religious reasons, we followed a vegetarian diet from a child. Um, and then I decided to follow largely a vegan diet. Um, once I started doing a bit more kind of digging when I was a little bit older, um, purely for kind of animal welfare reasons, really. Um, and I think that's probably one of the main reasons why people often follow to choo uh, choose to follow a plant-based diet um, alongside maybe perceived health reasons or, you know, wanting to help with the environment and sustainability. Um, so that's where my kind of personal interest and investment comes in. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. And it's great to hear how you've, you've combined your personal and your professional expertise to, to create your social platform, Harpreet. Just want to ask Kate the same question. Kate, what led to you creating Vegan Kids Dietitian on Instagram? Where does your interest come from? I've been, I suppose, well, not terribly similar to Harpreet, but since I was I think, more aware of making food choices from my early teens. I always wanted to be vegetarian. I remember, and this this was a long time ago, this was the 80s, um, or late 80s, early 90s. And um, I remember going to a little, little health food shop. Sorry, that's my dog. Um, a little health food shop in Cockermouth that sold TBP, and that it just seems sort of really kind of new age anyway. So, yeah, so I've been on and off vegetarian for years. Um, and I think my interest in plant based diets is sort of a mixture of being interested in allergy. So when I used to work in Chesterfield as a pediatric dietitian, I did an allergy clinic, um, which then when I had 
my second child, he had a milk allergy. So I had to give it up out of my diet, um, which at the, at the start was very tricky. Six years ago, it felt really tricky to me because I, I very much like dairy. But um, that really sparked an interest in allergy. And I think from ha- learning how to take eggs and dairy out of diets, um, that sort of gave me a basis for being more of an expert in plant-based diets um, because, you know, all you have to do is take out fish and meat and then basically you're vegan. So, and in terms of personally, I watched Dairy is Scary about, I think, this thing on YouTube about four years ago and overnight became vegan because I had no idea before that point about the dairy industry and why cows give us milk. So, so yeah. So ethically, um, for the environment as well, I, I, I think it's brilliant. But, um, but yeah, it was the horror. I think it was after breastfeeding myself. That sounds wrong. After I breastfed my children, <laughs> um, realizing actually what happened then I couldn't touch it anymore wow so that was such a a powerful um yeah powerful tool to influence you in your own dietary patterns yeah and um plant-based diets they have become increasingly popular in recent years both for health sustainable and environmental reasons Harpreet what do you think is behind the reason for this increase in popularity um, there's probably a few uh, reasons. I'd say number one is probably social media and kind of the rise in the trend of celebrities and influencers following a vegan diet because they think it's healthier automatically than other diets um, or eating patterns or, or, you know, it's a quick fix to help people lose weight. Um, so I think that from that perspective, perhaps it's a bit more of like a trend or a fad diet in a sense. Um but then on the other side, you obviously mentioned um, sustainability um, and how we, I think a lot of more, a lot more people are more invested in trying to see, you know, small changes they can make on a day-to-day basis to help the planet. And we know that uh, red meat and processed meat and the dairy uh, industry are one of the, well, the largest um, environmental um, burdens in the sense of how much greenhouse gases um, they produce from from the food side of things, food production. Um, but also I think just the fact that because vegan or plant-based foods are much more available, perhaps people don't think that, oh, you have to be vegan to try those foods because they're, you know, they're just, you can go to a restaurant and have them, you can order them on, you know, delivery services, pick up loads of different types of foods in the supermarket now. So maybe it's seen a as being a bit more accessible because you can be more flexible. You can maybe have one meal a week that's plant-based or you can do it for one day. You don't necessarily have to be, you know, go the whole hog and be a full-blown vegan (laughs) because now there's, you know, so much more variety around. Um, So I think those are probably the main reasons, I would say. Absolutely. And and we've talked a lot about the term plant-based diet as well as vegetarian and vegan. So Kate, for anyone that's listening, it's perhaps a bit confused. Could you clarify what what the difference is between plant-based eating and vegan and vegetarian eating? Yeah, well, plant-based eating is 
basically what it says on the tin. So your diet is based on plants, but not necessarily vegan. So I think the the true definition is that you can have sort of small amounts of fish. It's almost like Mediterranean diet, but a bit more plants. So it's <laughs> so it's um yeah a lot less meat and a lot less fish and dairy than a traditional diet. Um, yeah. As a paediatric dietitian, Kate, are you seeing an increase in parents wanting to raise their children as plant-based eaters or, or even vegan? And not so much in clinic. Um, I haven't, I think I've seen a couple of people um, in clinic wanting to raise their children. I get a lot of inquiries on my Instagram page and through my website though. And when I used to work for Allergy UK, I used to get a lot of people referred through the helpline who were wanting to raise their children vegan. And unfortunately, I suppose this is quite anecdotal. I don't know how much proof there is to this, but a lot of parents say that they don't necessarily get very much support from um, healthcare professionals who sometimes I think probably warn them off being vegan because they think it's extreme. So I think that's that's why they approach approach me. And there are obviously other vegan dietitians in on social media. We'll come on to the topic of, of vegan diets for children later as, as part of our big dietetic debate. Just before we do, I want to talk about whether or not there are any health advantages of being a plant-based eater. Harpreet, when you were talking about the rise in celebrities, um, we've got our videos on at the moment, so obviously people listening can't see you, but you sort of put inverted commas when you said healthier. Can you tell us a bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, so I think the the common perception is any kind of vegan alternative to a traditional food is often seen as healthier. Um, but a lot of the time, if it's, you know, say processed foods, for example, your burgers, your sausages, your vegan cakes, obviously all those types of foods, they still would contain a fair amount of saturated fat, salt, sugar. So it doesn't necessarily mean, for example, a vegan ice cream of the same brand is healthier than the normal version, you know, of that same ice cream, which is something I get asked all the time. And even, you know, in my own family, they'll be like, oh, I have the vegan one because it's, you know, it's healthier. So I think that's probably quite a common misconception. Um, uh, yeah, Kate, I don't know if you had anything else to add to that. Yeah, I agree that the, the alternatives can be just as processed and salty and sugary. However, um, I think any children that are eating larger amounts of soy rather than um, dairy products, it is, um, there's been recent research to show that it's really beneficial in later life and it can, um, especially in girls, can really reduce their risk of breast cancer. Um, there has been a new report out, which I can link in the show notes um, by Dr. Mark Messina. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's actually I, I think it's something that people don't really consider. I think soy is often such a, a misunderstood food group, food, food group. You can cut that out. Um, <laughs> It's yeah, I think it's quite misunderstood, and people are really scared to give their children soya um, when actually the the risks aren't really there 
after six months of age and the health benefits are extraordinary. Um, and also there's the, I think generally um, children, especially following a, a vegan diet, are eating a lot more um, fruits, vegetables, legumes, seeds, nuts, etc., cetera, um, which, you know, obviously does have health benefits. And you, you talked a bit about um, children, you know, following plant-based diets and things and, and there being evidence for soy versus dairy. Um, people listening to the podcast might think, well, we know that dairy is rich in certain nutrients like calcium, for example, which is important for chil- uh, children who are growing. So is it possible to find sort of nutritional equivalents, Kate, on a vegan or a plant-based diet and what sorts of advice do you find yourself offering parents to make sure that their children are not compromised on their nutritional intake? Absolutely. I think the vegan alternatives, um, the plant-based milks, for example, um, yeah, the, the calcium in them is very bioavailable, um, especially soy products, but not everybody can tolerate soy. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. The the alternative milks are, are really good. I would always um, get parents to watch out for things like yogurts and cheese, the, the vegan alternatives, because they don't necessarily include the, um, the same nutrients of dairy versions. Um, in fact, I often just end up reassuring parents about calcium um, and instead sort of rattling on about um, making sure that they take a vitamin D supplement, you know, just basics um, that everybody should be doing. Um, also, iron, I feel that you do have to focus on. Um, probably at every meal, just focusing on having a good source. So it doesn't need to be sort of a tremendously high source, but just having one thing in each meal that, that has iron in it. Um, and also iodine. So we know that in the British population, the main sources of iodine are um, cow's milk, eggs and fish. Um, And obviously, if you're following a vegan diet, you're not having any of those. So children um, and breastfeeding mums need to make sure that they're um, taking enough iodine. Um, Unfortunately, seaweed, although it contains high amounts, it's not advised to give children it because we don't know how much is in it. So it could be really high. Um, so really they do need a supplement and also B12. Dietary sources of B12 that have been fortified, such as some nutritional yeast, um, some of the cheeses. So just keeping an eye on the pot packets and making sure that they're getting their RNI. Great. Thank you very much. I think that's really practical, some food-first advice that lots of people listening will find really helpful. Harpreet, are there any clinical conditions or patient groups where it wouldn't be advised to follow a plant-based or perhaps a vegan diet, especially thinking in terms of um, older adults and, and malnutrition? As obviously, that's a, a big area of nutrition support. Yeah, um, definitely. I think... Kind of generally speaking, um, you know, the BDA have said alongside the vegan society that it's possible to be achieve a healthy balanced diet on a on a plant based or vegan diet. Um, but I was thinking more specifically in terms of clinical conditions, 
um, it probably wouldn't, you know, you probably wouldn't advise somebody who has disordered eating or already, you know, very restrictive eating patterns um, to think about potentially reducing their intake even further if they were to follow, you know, like a dairy-free or plant-based diet. Um, and like you said, really importantly, malnutrition is something we see all the time, especially in the acute setting. Um, and uh, amongst old adults, definitely they're a more vulnerable population. Um, interestingly, day to day, I don't actually see huge amounts of, of patients who are following a very restricted plant-based uh, or vegan diet. And, you know, they want to, they don't often come up and say, we want to have X, Y, Z. Um, perhaps that's just because of the area that I work in is quite specific um, and uh, and kind of a tier three service. But um, definitely if you're thinking about some an older adult, you know, you'd, you'd advise similar to what Kate said earlier in terms of all the different micronutrients, um, but also obviously energy and protein are really important to help maintain weight, muscle mass. Um, and also if we're thinking about clinical conditions, um, for example, post-surgery, which is where I see a lot of my patients or oncology patients, um, their requirements are much higher post-surgery or pre-treatment for like chemo radiotherapy. So it's not to say they can't follow a plant-based diet, but they'd probably just need a bit more guidance um, around, you know, foods that are high in protein and energy, um, as well as then regular snacks to have in between and obviously your nourishing drinks, etc., which are dairy free if that's what they want to do um so yeah i think those are probably the main things when you have come across plant-based eaters or people following a vegan diet in an acute setting um how do you support them with your dietetic input for example are there special menus that you can offer them in a hospital setting yes definitely and i think that also varies from hospital to hospital um so First and foremost, we, I mean, if you have a, a, a vegan menu, for example, that's probably the easiest thing to offer them straight away. Um, but I know from my experience that actually the um, options are quite limited. So, for example, if you've only got five or six options on a, on a vegan menu and the patient doesn't like a couple of them, you know, you've, got, you've only got a few left really to have for lunch and dinner um, for, say, you know, a week's stay in, in hospital. Um so that could potentially get a little bit limiting um, if you're seeing these patients day to day. Um, but then also you can offer kind of any alternatives, so dairy alternatives in terms of high energy, high protein snacks from the hospital, if that's something that they can provide um, or ask family or carers of the patients to bring that in if possible to, when they're seeing the patients. Um, and then um, we also have uh, some oral nutritional supplements which are plant-based but of course um, I'm sure many dietitians know that there really aren't very many options at all um, so we're quite limited the two main ones we would use are a plant are a, a vegan smoothie um, a option a milkshake option and then a vegan um, protein supplement so those two options are, are the main uh, oral nutritional supplements um, that I come across that are kind of strictly vegan. Um, there, there's also, you know, options of potentially chatting with your catering team in the hospital and seeing if they can provide some uh, 
alternative foods or you know extra bits to add on to meals like lentils beans hummus potentially depending on how flexible they are um but going back to kind of uh nutritional supplements and then on to enteral feeding um again i'm sure many people know that there isn't actually um a strict kind of vegan mainstream enteral feed available at the moment um there's the soy based ones which or one rather um but again that's got the vitamin d3 derived from animals in there so that would be a conversation you'd have to have with the patient um and see you know how strict they are in terms of wanting to follow the vegan diet and whether they're willing to maybe have a little bit of leeway just whilst they're in hospital um and it's also good to know that the vegan society i think by definition um you know they say follow the vegan diet to kind of the best in the best way you can so there are there are always going to be um, situations where you might not be able to and most often or not there'll be a medical situation um because again a lot of med uh, medicines tablets they're not vegan either so um these are just some things to consider i would say yeah that's really helpful advice and i know on some of the other dietitian cafe episodes where we've discussed sort of cultural and religious um, aspects as well it's often similar where religious leaders will say um you know in certain circumstances it, it may not be possible to follow what you would normally follow at home and that's obviously a conversation to have have with the patient um kate i want to ask you about some of the biggest misconceptions that you see from other dietitians about plant-based eating can you Tell us a bit more and perhaps debunk some of these myths for us. I mean, the biggie's got to be soya, hasn't it? Which I think I've already debunked. Um, also, people do get very worried about protein. Protein, for example, in children isn't really as big as an issue as a lot of people think. Um, if you actually look at the portions that are needed for growth, it's much smaller than actually we we do consume um, as, a, as a society. So yeah, I think a lot of children do have too much protein, um, which isn't a bad thing if they're, you know, if they're healthy, um, but actually a well-balanced diet of legumes, nuts, etc. cetera. Um, you don't really need to worry about protein as much as a lot of people think. So yeah, I think a lot of healthcare professionals do worry about that and worry about cal calcium. As I said earlier, I think um, a lot of people worry about bioavailability, which, again, isn't really a problem. No, that's really interesting to hear. Um, and I know, obviously, in the last few years, there have obviously been a wider range of products available, many of which are fortified with these important nutrients. And also greater awareness, I think, with what with um, the BDA One Blue Dot campaign and the publishing of papers like the Eat Lancet report, for example, Harpreet, are there any misconceptions that you come across from fellow health professionals? Um, I don't, from health professionals, not so much. I think I think Kate covered it with the soya one, to be honest. That's probably the top one. Um, but from patients, like you'll often get, you know, that the maybe plant-based diets are boring or tasteless <laughs> and they don't want to give it you know they struggle if they've tried to potentially do a bit of plant-based eating um every now and then um or that plant-based diets are expensive and often you know if you're using veg fruit that are in season um or even like you know alternative uh, products that are their own brand versions in supermarkets often they're just as good as the big brands but you just 
definitely 100% need to check the labels to make sure that they're fortified with the calcium, the B12, the vitamin D, etc. Um, but um, the main, I guess the main one is that plant-based diets are often seen to be deficient in nutrients. Um, and to be fair, that can, that is a possibility. But like we've said, you know, if as long as it's well planned um, and kind of thought out and you've got the little bit of knowledge that you need to make sure you're including all of your important micronutrients, um, then you should be able to, to you know, achieve um, optimal nutrition, really. And are there any resources that you perhaps recommend if there are other health professionals listening who'd like to learn a bit more about supporting their patients with plant-based eating? Where can they go to find that information, Harpreet? Yeah, so there are a couple. So uh, the BDA have their plant-based diet sheet, which is quite helpful. Um, and then the Vegan Society uh, website has a whole nutrition section, which is really good, quite comprehensive. Um, and you'll also find the Vegan Eat Well guide as well. Um, and that's just useful in terms of, you know, general healthy eating information, but also they highlight on there quite clearly the micronutrients that you need to think about. So your iodine, your selenium, your B12, your vitamin D, etc. Um, and then you also have different um, kind of online CPD opportunities as well, depending on, you know, different um, nutrition providers um, who often do free webinars and things. And so it's always good to sign up to different uh, Kind of different companies if possible um and then like kate mentioned there's the bda one blue dot campaign as well which is really helpful brilliant there's some really great suggestions there we can link to some of those in the show notes definitely um just before we wrap up kate i want to know um do you need to take supplements on a vegan diet or can you get everything you need from your diet alone could i just before i answer that just say that First Steps Nutrition have a really good guide for children um, and the Vegan Society as well have sort of a one to five-year-old guide. Sorry about that. Um, In terms of supplements, um, is this specifically for children or for everyone? Let's talk about children in terms of yourself and then Harpreet, perhaps you can talk about in terms of adults. Yeah. Um, So I would... I tend to recommend that um, they definitely have a vitamin D supplement. I tend to recommend it all year round because if anybody's like me, you know, it's easy to forget in in the winter months. I would also recommend that they take some kind of iodine supplement. Um, And usually vitamin B12, um, unless they can, you know, happily guarantee that they're going to have something containing vitamin b12 each day um, i would also recommend an algae supplement with omega-3 um, containing dha and epa in so yeah those are the ones that i would recommend brilliant and harpreet do you have anything to add in terms of adults yeah i think actually in terms of uh instead of looking at individual nutrients i often I'm quite realistic with people and say, you know, we don't always eat perfectly every single day. So there's no harm, there's no shame in, you know, taking a daily multivitamin. Um, and that's kind of uh, on, on top of what Kate's already said, thinking about individual nutrients, definitely. Um, but if you're having a general A to Z multivitamin, um, you can get uh, like kind of plant-based ones from your local pharmacy your supermarket etc just make sure that all of the 
um, RNIs or the RDAs are 100% and not necessarily, you know, obviously 1000% because that's not necessary. Um, but if you are looking for vegan specific ones, then the Vegan Society has one. And also, again, in your local um, chemists and pharmacies, you'll find, you know, own brand vegan versions as well. So, um, yeah, I would say multivitamin is a good idea, to be honest, just as a backup and a bit of peace of mind as well. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. agree. I tend to I tend to recommend a multivitamin, um, and on my Instagram page, I've tried to sort of go through the vitamins that are available because it's quite it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? Unfortunately, they rarely contain the algae. Great. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for, for sharing your, your thoughts around that. So just before we finish up, ladies, I've got a couple of quick fire questions to pitch you both. So Harpreet, let's begin with you. What would you say has been your proudest moment as a dietitian? Um, so I think a recent um, event that I took part in um, springs to mind, I guess. Um, it was a virtual um, dietitians event that was set up by a group of dietitians and the um, focus on it was cultural diets and healthy eating um, and that was um, an event attended by quite a few people um, both health healthcare professionals and the public um, and in that I specifically spoke about plant-based diets um, and tailoring them to South Asian diets because like I mentioned earlier um, a lot of South Asian diets are generally plant-based anyway um, but it's quite interesting to look at tailoring them to that population um, because a lot of the foods eaten in South Asian diets, which in itself is an umbrella term anyway, um, are very different from what we might suggest, you know, traditional British foods are. So it's kind of looking at how we can ask them to make sure their diet is nutritionally complete, but without having to change their traditional foods that they eat or advising them, you know, to eat foods that they would no never normally have. Um, so that was really, really enjoyable. And we got some really good feedback. So I would say that's uh, one of my proud, proud moments so far. Great. We had great feedback from that event when we chatted to um, some other dietitians on a previous episode where we talked about diversifying dietetics. So it's, it's really great to hear that you've also been involved in that. Kate, do you have anything to add on that topic? I'd say I'm a bit of a sap. I've been... I've been involved in lots of things recently, which have been really exciting. But to be honest, I, I feel the most proud when um, I reassure parents and, and get that feedback. Um, it's, it's really lovely, um, especially if they've felt that, you know, other healthcare professionals haven't given them support. So, so yeah, I just I think I really like that part of my job. Yeah, I can imagine as a parent, it can perhaps feel a bit overwhelming and sometimes lonely if you do choose to raise your child as a plant-based eater. Um, so it's great to hear that you, you're offering that support to parents and that it's so well received. So obviously we've just come out of lockdown or coming out of lockdown. Have either of you got a plant-based cafe or restaurant that you've particularly missed during lockdown? Harpreet, what about you? Oh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> Um, there's quite a few that I like, but I actually discovered a new one just a few weeks ago, which is really good. Um, and I'll tell you that just because it's the most recent in my brain. Um, it's called Kin Cafe, so K-I-N. Um, it's in central London and they do great vegan brunch and brunch is one of my favourite meals of the day. <laughs> so um, I would say that one's really good. Um, there's also 
a couple of other ones actually which I'd normally go to which haven't yet reopened so I'm holding out on them for now <laughs> what would you be ordering for your vegan brunch what's top of the list oh top of the list definitely french toast with caramelized bananas yogurt berries and maple syrup <laughs> loads of syrup love it <laughs> nice and Kate what would be your last meal if we cast you off to a desert island Oh, I think it would have to be a chocolate fondant, you know, a melt in the middle, vegan, probably with some peanut butter in the chocolate sauce in the middle. That sounds amazing. You're making me very <laughs> hungry. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much to Harpreet and Kate for joining us today on the Dietitian Cafe. Thank you very much for our listeners for tuning in. Our next episode of Dietitian Cafe will be coming very soon.